Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Pipeline Superheroes podcast, where we feature interesting folks from a diverse set of backgrounds, growing B2B companies in a myriad of ways. Today, we have Annie Sai, a woman who wears a lot of hats. She is involved with the House Fund, a seed investment fund for UC Berkeley, Moms in Tech, a global community of women executives, and the Chief Operating Officer of Interact in San Mateo, California. Annie, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Grant? I'm good. It's snowing in New York, raining in the Bay Area, so we can compare those two things, but you know, we're not trying to have a precipitation off here. <laughs> yeah, yesterday was pretty nuts, but at least we're having some sun today, so I feel good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Well, there's so much to dive into. I don't know exactly where to start. Um, I know that, you know, uh, for folks listening, it's Wednesday, March 15th. We are in the aftermath of the SVP scare crisis, however you want to call it. Um, we were talking, you know, just pre-recording about how recession proof. Um, I think that refers to, you know, both the bigger macro economic st- And I think your audio is coming in and out. Yeah, it's the mic. How about now? Say it again. How about now? Yep, there you go. Okay, are. actually, let me just put it down. I think messing with it is the problem. All right, I'll obviously edit this out. Um, you got to start over with the intro, though, because it started fun. Okay. Start over entirely? Uh, no, when you were talking about, like, recession-proofing. Yeah, so, one, two, three. We were talking pre-record about recession-proofing revenue. We'd love to understand what that means to you. It seems like companies are preparing for a lot of things, you know, a decrease in the amount of venture capital investment going out, which has been changing year over year. Um, something as acute as the SVP situation, you know, making sure that your company is growing sustainably. Are you relying on runway? Are you creating new revenue? And of course, you know, global ac- macroeconomic uh, climates, there's recession talk, there's, are we in a recession? You know, I'm not uh, an ac- economist, even though I did major in economics, so I can't determine that my, on my own, but we'd love to understand what that means for you and the companies that you work with. Yeah, it's a, it's a very real question. And uh, this, this notion of recession proofing your revenue has come up probably every day for the last year and a half. Um, and, you know, the SVB um, situation, I think, continues to uh, uh, put wings under that conversation. Um, so a lot of questions come up around, you know, my revenue model um, and um, what what my funnel looks like and whether or not um, we're going to be able to grow at the rates that we want to. And the areas where I always really like to dig into um, are, um, you know, some top of funnel, but the reality in B2B SaaS is that um, top of funnel gets the most attention when it comes to ARR. Um, You know, for years and years, um, growth marketing, performance marketing, SEO marketing, sales motion, that's gotten... um, a lot of attention. And, um, and I think, um, you know, when times are good, it's really easy to ignore or, or sort of bench, um, you know, all the other parts of the revenue cycle that go flow into ARR, especially as companies mature. Um, But if um, I would suggest that if organizations have not started to really take a good, solid, hard look at the role that their customer success and account management organizations and support 
and self-service and product are playing in driving growth and retention and expansion, um, now is the time to do it and really fill your roadmap with that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. How do you think that changes company culture if companies are being built for more sustainable, secure growth? Because, you know, we all have an idea in mind of the, you know, fanciful Silicon Valley startup with funding and, you know, LaCroix and water fountains around the office. And yeah. I actually worked for a company once that you had uh, twice a month, you could get a massage from an in-house masseuse. That was fun and cushy probably a low interest rate phenomenon as as people are saying on Twitter. But, um, you know, I think it, it it informs every part of an organization, everybody in it, when the way you're growing, how you want to grow. And I also think that informs, you know, the type of people that you're selling to and try to provide value to. So I'm wondering like how that, what that means for you, especially as you advise companies. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I'm, I'm in a really, I think, fun and interesting position because um, I invest in um, via a venture fund, but also as an angel, I invest in startups um, and, and I advise um, startups, but at the same time, also the company that I um, help operate is a bootstrap company and we've been bootstrapped for nine years. And so um, the um, it's been really, I think, um, it's been super awesome, really, just taking the the learnings that I've had from what I call smart growth um, to and and um, advising people on how to apply that to a venture backed situation. Um, it's there is something to be said for sort of the rate at which you're um, burning cash. Yes, that's really important, and you want to get that in check. Um, the um, the way that I really think about smart growth is um, every dollar that's invested. The question that you need to ask and you need to be able to, to really optimize against is what am I going to get for that dollar? Um, and, uh, you know, as a bootstrap business, we're asking that question every day with every penny, rightfully so, because we don't have, you know, venture capitalists that we can call up for a bridge loan, like, um, you know, six months from now when we run out of cash. Um, and so I, I, I think that that's the question that needs to be asked for every project, every time, regardless of how much money you have in the bank, regardless of who's backing you, what am I going to get for this investment and how do I know that I've done it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to, you know, turn this conversation into some interesting things you're doing at Interact, um, being a, a, a bootstrapped business and investing in growth. And, you know, like you're saying, really being focused on ROAS and only exploring channels that are profitable. You know, a lot of companies, especially when they're experimenting with digital marketing, demand gen, or even sales, they try to sprinkle like into a bunch of different channels. You know, there's sort of the wisdom of don't put all your eggs in one basket. That being said, you know, to be a contrarian there, if you have a really strong basket, you can feel comfortable putting a lot of eggs into it. So just curious about like your, you know, the secret sauce to interact growth and how you think of all these things, because you're clearly very, you know, tactical and, and, and um, metric driven on digital marketing, which, you know, is inherently, uh, you know, uh, metric driven, but curious about the secret sauce. Yeah, we, so it starts with who your customers are, like who your buyer is and where they go and how they find out information about this problem that you are trying to help them solve. Um, you know, it's the age old question for SaaS is where do you find them and go where they are. Um, for us, um, Interact uh, has pivoted over the years, but by the time I had joined the company in 2019, um, as a fractional executive at the time, um, 
we had sort of narrowed our product market fit to small, small to medium-sized businesses, agencies, and online creators. So people who were creating courses online, online coaches, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so we went down market um, and uh, left enterprise sales. So we weren't doing any outbound. Everything was now inbound. And that meant that we had spent several years optimizing our content marketing strategy, similar to if you've been around SaaS for a long time, um, people might call it like the HubSpot model for, for mm -hmm. content marketing. Um, and we really just optimized the hell out of SEO, organic SEO. We didn't do any paid. Um, and uh, it was it was um, pretty incredible what happens when you really are very consistent with um, a single strategy. Now, layered on top of that was um, our affiliate program, um, and I don't take any credit for this, um, but it represents anywhere between 10 and 14% of our revenue on any given wow. month. Um, so uh, there's that, plus our organic probably um, today is, is, is somewhere around 50% of our traffic. Um, and then we have partnerships. So co-marketing partnerships with our integration partners, um, something that the founders did, um, I think, which was a, a really smart choice early on, was to really build out all, as many native integrations as we could to make that product user experience as seamless as possible. Um, and so uh, along with that seamless product user experience was really the fact that, um, you know, well, I guess the output of that is that over the last three and a half years, um, our support ticket counts have been flat, even though our customer base has tripled. So um, it's those kinds of things, right? Where you're making decisions um, across the board where you're asking yourself, is my investment in say, fixing this user experience in the product going to help me in all of these different areas that some of them are cost centers, but other, uh, others of them are growth opportunities and they kind of add up all together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it's a really interesting answer. Some really like, you know, eye popping numbers there, 50% organic. And, you know, like I originally framed that question where it's like, okay, we're, you're obviously very mindful as a company and an individual in how you develop these channels. But SEO and content is not like, you know, in the same way paid is a dollar in dollar out, right? It's obviously a longer term play. You can see how you're ranking on, you know, the on the keywords that are most important to the business and drive revenue. Um, but I'm curious, like why that was the conscious decision. Um, maybe it was the founders, maybe it was when you were there um, as well. Um, because, you know, I think a lot of companies always have content on back of mind. Like if we had more time, if we had more money, we could hire one more person to, who's a rock star and he or she could nail it. That'd be awesome. But like, maybe they don't take us seriously. So how did that decision get made? I want to say it was um, something that we saw in our customers. And I remember having this conversation with Josh, our founder at one point about content and how, you know, why we started writing a lot of content. Um, it was a, uh, it was therapeutic for one because um, you know that was something that our CEO and founder loved doing, and a lot of um, sort of it's it's also now ingrained into a lot of roles that we have um, on on the go to market side. Um, a lot of people create content as a part of their jobs, um, even though they're say running BD, they're still doing uh, YouTube videos, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, so it was therapeutic. We also found that our customers had a lot of questions. Um, outside of quizzes, 
um, which is our product, right? But they had a lot of questions like paid ads was a question that came up all the time. Um, you know, what their tech stack should look like came up all the time. Um, and when people are sort of in that small to medium business size or they're just getting started, um, the periphery of, uh, you know, how to run my business um, and what are the things that I need to do to grow my business or retain my customers, these are motions that, um, you know, early entrepreneurs really don't have experience in. And so they're really hungry for that knowledge and for that advice. Um, and if you can give it to them in like bite-sized pieces, um, consumable pieces that they can then apply to their business and then come back for more, um, that was really effective. And so we saw a lot of people sort of consuming our content and then coming back for more, consuming our content, coming back for more, and then eventually signing up and then coming back to our content. And then once we launched our community in 20 late 2021, um, then we found that people, user-generated content and people helping each other based on what they had learned um, was was uh, sort of the um, the flywheel part of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I would love to, you know, dive into some community aspects as well. Mm -hmm. I'm personally building a community um, through Bloom Growth and we have a Slack channel and all that kinds of things. And I find that community is such an effective brand marketing and value add because what you're doing is you're creating a, a you know, a parasocial connection between customers and prospective customers, folks that maybe it's not the right time for them to buy your product or service um, and providing value all the same. And I think that like, it is so important these days as folks just look for more online communities and also just like as the approach of, hey, knock, knock, would you like a meeting? Would you like my product is so like, you know, out of date and really people are engaging with products, they're engaging with services, they want to engage with people um, and understanding a community, which also heightens the value of your product. Because if you, you have folks, it's like, you know, uh, like Yahoo Answers is a very basic version of this. Like, how do I ask a community? How did you X, Y, Z or Stack Overflow or, you know, fill in, fill in the blank. So it really is just such a force multiplier to have that UGC, the user generated content. So curious, like, you know, how you guys were able to build up the foundation of your community and what people can learn from that. Yeah, and uh, similar learnings with Moms in Tech, which is a global community mm -hmm. of operators yeah. and executives. Um, so I think the learnings are very, pretty much the same. And as well, at Demand Force, many years ago, we launched our community and ended up with 64% active participation, which um, is a huge number compared to um, general community benchmarks. And so um, I think it really starts with um, buying into the idea that um, you have to give before you get anything. And um, that's mm -hmm. across the board. And so um, the, the, the vision of the of every community um, has to be really clearly defined. Like what is the purpose of why we are asking people to come here versus anywhere else? What, what are they gonna get? And what are we going to invest in um, uh, in order to give them that? Uh, so for Interact as an example, um, you know, we, we the way that we work is to test everything first, right? The cheapest way possible. If it works, then we launch, of course. And so um, we started out in Facebook as a Facebook group. And, um, you know, we were really trying to test out this question of whether or not people would help each other. Um, immediately and they didn't um and the reason they didn't is because there wasn't there there weren't enough people helping helping them and so when they were going in to ask for help there weren't enough people to then answer the question and so um 
the company always has to put in a lot of time up front to really kind of be there to drive engagement, to make sure that there's activity, to make sure that there are new posts, to ask the questions that everybody's asking, but every, but you're too busy to post, right? Um, and once you start creating those connections, um, you, you then start injecting people who are trusted because um, buyers, customers, consumers, everybody, nobody trusts brands as much anymore as they trust people and individuals. And so um, putting the into the community or injecting into the community, the people that that, that target audience trusts um, gives them an, a reason to go in there over and over again because they get access in a way that they never would. Um, and, and over time, I mean, it's been a year and a half and we're still working on it with Interact. Moms in Tech, I think it probably took three years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, over time, you, you get to a point where user-generated content becomes um, like a real viable way of, of driving self-engagement. Um, but it's not, it's definitely not something that happens overnight. You really have to like buy into the idea that it's going to be a multi-year project. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, another great example of maybe uh, delayed gratification or delayed ROI on like a really valuable channel. I um, would also love to understand moms on tech and the value that, you know, moms get from that too, because, you know, I think community, there's like everything you just said, there's the network effects, there's user generated content and the, the term you use, which is like trust. And how do you build up trust and make sure that people feel welcome in a community? Um, so it would be like, we'd love to hear the journey of um, moms on tech. And I know you're involved with some community events, aspects of that as well, community engagement. So I'd love to understand how, how that gets manifested as well. Yeah, the Moms in Tech group was founded by two, uh, uh, I get one, one person is still there and one person's not for uh, Facebook employees. Um, and they had worked on the, the group's uh, product and um, I, the problem that they had experienced was the same problem that all working professional moms in tech experience um, that are sort of um, uh, career minded and, you know, uh, want to go after those promotions and take really challenging roles. Well, but, you know, while you have kids and I'm, I don't know if you have kids, but what, at the, the moment you have kids is the moment that you become a hundred percent more productive than you ever have been in your life because you have so much less time. Um, but the scope of questions that you ask is vastly wider and, you know, broader than any, uh, any, any point in your life. And so, um, and also for a lot of, a lot of mothers and fathers, frankly, um, you know, this is quite often the first time in which they have to admit that they really don't know what they're doing and it's terrifying. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and so we get a lot of that, you know, and it was a real problem. Um, and, uh, the, the, community was created also during a time where there was, it really felt like there was a real um, attack on, um, on, on women online, you know, like a lot of women were getting doxxed and it was just really hard to find a place where they could go and connect and safely talk to each other. Um, and, and so we solved a lot of problems at, um, at, in one place. Uh, today, um, I think um, where uh, it's, it's, a really unique mix of conversations. Um, like, you know, this SVB stuff, we've been talking a lot about what happened and why, but we're also talking about, um, you know, asset management strategies and how to ensure your personal investments moving forward or your person personal, um, you know, uh, accounts moving forward are, um, are secured. Um, 
Uh, we talk about um, real estate investment strategies. Um, you know, there are a lot of really savvy women who are teaching each other. And so um, the some of the workshops that we put on that are all volunteer based are, um, you know, around um, increasing your, this, you know, the, the diversification of your investment portfolio or, um, you know, the the foundational sort of primers for cryptocurrency and how to invest um all of that kind of stuff, you know, and uh, 529 investing and, and, you know, strategies to apply there. And so the uh, lately we've been doing a lot of work on um, helping people um, through like interviewing and resume workshops um, and uh, um, like Dave Fano from TL, he, he gave an hour to, uh, to, to uh, volunteer and, and help, you know, 150 women mm -hmm. that were on the workshop on, on how to optimize their resumes. And so um, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of give. And, mm -hmm. and, I think, mm -hmm. um, and I think that's part of what makes it really successful. Yeah, it sounds like a community where there's a lot of like these like inscrutable for no reason gatekeeps things like real estate investing is a famous example where you know you have the REITs and people don't know what it means they don't teach you that in public school famously and it seems like this big scary word but once you break down the acronyms it's not that complicated and you know just having making that democratized and accessible is so important um i re once read this um theory of retail investing where so if you take a vitamin like if you take a daily vitamin you're a healthier person than somebody who doesn't. And it's not because of the vitamin. If you're the type of person to take a daily vitamin, you're probably health conscious enough that you care about it. And I find that there's this, the same thing about retail investing, where you're not necessarily, like you're probably not going to beat the market. You're not even probably going to beat the S&P. But if you're the type of person that goes out and invests their own money in companies they like and stocks that they care about, you probably are more financially conscious. So like breaking that down and making these things accessible is as much of a mentality thing and, and making those things less scary. So I always find that really interesting when I hear about stuff like that and like interviewing the same way, like it seems like it's this big black box, but you know, once you break it down to your, the component parts, people can figure it out. Um, really awesome uh -huh. stuff. Well, well, thank you for the time. Um, as we wrap up today, is there anything else you'd like to promote or folks maybe you're looking for? You know, we just hired a, a, a great engineer on and we're we're excited because we our roadmap is really going to be focusing on um, integrating. We did a lot of work integrating chat GP3. And so our, now we're, we're moving on to GP3, GPT4. Um, mm -hmm. Very exciting. Uh, and I, I we're, we're good from that front, I think. Um, you know, the only thing I, I can really harp on for, for your view, your listeners is like, you know, start, start looking at the rest of your, your revenue funnel, um, the top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel, because it's not really vertical, it's a circle. And so, um, yeah. you know, we, uh, that that's really where I think investors as well as executives are going to be focusing on in the coming year. Awesome. Well, Definitely. I appreciate that. A lot of good advice here. I definitely got a lot of value from this. Um, and we'll let you know if anybody in the audience reaches out with that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good to talk to you.